בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוכים הבאים. We're back here to start a new week, בעזרת השם, big week. We're continuing our series of the Jewish Ashkafa. We're actually starting a new chapter in the Sefer by the Chazonish, Emunah Bitechon, it's chapter 4. Tonight's shiur will be for a refuah shlema for Rabbanit Levana, Bat Sarah, Rabbi Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sarah Bat Anat. אבי מורי דוד בן עשריה, אמי מורתי דוריס בת ז'ורה, and uh, all of כלל ישראל, בעזרת השם הרב רפואה שלמה, רפואת הנפש, רפואת הגוף, and also for הצלחה רבה, for מרשה בת ג'ולי, איילה בת מרשה, סמי בן מרשה, ספס בן מרשה, אלכסנדר בן מרשה, לואיס בן מרשה, and all of עם ישראל, and all of the righteous Noahites that continue to do the will of Hashem and try their best to uh, serve Hashem even more each and every single day, בעזרת השם. Of course, those of you that continue to contribute to our organization, whether it's by watching our shiurim or contributing uh, donations and uh, of your time, money, and so on. Uh, so, uh, we have a um, big week ahead of us. Last week was a very big week with Lag uh, Baomer. For any of you that uh, attended the private event that we had, Uh, at my house, Baruch Hashem, it was a uh, exceptional uh, night. A lot of people had a good time. The kids had a good time, and Baruch Hashem, it was wonderful. Uh, we also studied a little bit differently than we typically do. Uh, a few things that uh, we don't usually study, we don't go into typically, but uh, certainly it's a, uh, there's a tool that a person can apply uh, that was um, taught in that shul that uh, a person can apply, and already a few people have told me that they applied it, Uh, and uh, Baruch Hashem, uh, those that uh, you know did it the uh, the right way and listened to the instructions, Baruch Hashem already told me they had some good uh, results. Those that didn't listen to the instructions already told me <laughs> I shouldn't have done it. So it's important to listen to all of the instructions, just like you listen to the instructions with the, when it comes to medicine or it comes to uh, uh, building things. Uh, you can't just uh, skip to the end. Uh, so. Um, Uh, that, uh, Baruch Hashem, anyone that hasn't watched the shiur, it's only an hour, uh, and uh, from last week it's called the Zohar. Uh, aside from that, we have a uh, big event scheduled for this week on Wednesday night. It's a live event uh, here in South Florida for any of you that uh, want to come join us, whether you live here or you live in New York or Texas or Colorado or wherever you live. We have quite a few people uh, that uh, fly into our events on a regular basis. Uh, and uh, Baruch Hashem, we're expecting to see them again. So any one of you that uh, wants to fly in for the day, join us. It's going to be at a, a new location at the Hilton. Uh, and Be'ezat uh, Hashem, we're looking forward to having that event. Um, we're not going to have a uh, shiur on uh, Tuesday night. Uh, so this is the shiur tonight, and then we'll have the Wednesday night event. Be'ezat uh, Hashem. Uh, so with that being said, there's a lot of other things that it, uh, we need to do as far as updates, the uh, new products, new things, but it's already uh, late and we need to uh, get to this material. Uh, perhaps if we have time at the end, we'll go into that as well. So um, <clears throat> with, uh, with that being said, we've uh, uh, completed the first three chapters uh, to the best of our ability of this extraordinary sefer, Emunah Bitachon by the Chazonish. Anyone that uh, has, uh, has listened thus far, uh, surely and has applied at least some of the things to their life, uh, it's been a life changer. Uh, and uh, surely uh, uh, something that uh, has helped quite a few understand what is Jewish hashkafa, what is the right ideology. Because many times 
people are confused when they see certain things or when they hear certain things or when they read certain things. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to address every issue that everybody has uh, in their community or on their own uh, when they're reading things that are against what the Torah says or where they're seeing things. So the best thing that I could always tell people is simply you need to know what is the right ideology. And, and that's the, this is the reason why we've had this whole monumental series of lectures, already over 70 lectures, uh, discussing what is the right Jewish ideology and not what the right Jewish ideology is according to me, but uh, rather the right Jewish ideology according to the Gdolei Ado, according to the, the biggest sages that we've had in, uh, in, in history. Uh, and uh, the, the Chazonish was uh, one of the uh, giants among men that literally was a, uh, uh, somebody that uh, came in uh, and had dealt with an endless amount of difficulties throughout his life, but yet until his last days, he sacrificed his life for the sake of Am Yisrael, for the sake of getting Am Yisrael to go towards the Torah and not bringing the Torah down to people, but rather bringing people up to the Torah. And this is one of the things that you see it's the uh, opposite in the world today where you see all types of organizations or so-called rabbis that are changing the torah in order to customize it for the people and unfortunately this uh this uh secular month is a month that uh, uh apparently all of the uh the balemum all of the uh deformed spiritually deformed people that like to celebrate their deformity of gay pride uh, this is when they celebrate it around the world. And unfortunately, there are different uh, Jewish, so-called Jewish organizations that uh, were actually created for the sake of joining this, this abomination. Uh, you know, so when people see, oh, there's a rabbi such and such is a, uh, started this organization or is running an organization or is uh, promoting this organization and giving them so-called chizuk, even though the act of homosexuality is considered an abomination according to the Torah. And uh, a person that uh, is, is an active homosexual has no share of the world to come. And you see different places. Uh, just today I saw there was a few articles written by one of these reform uh, news outlets uh, of how they're, uh, you know, they're uh, advocating for these uh, LGBTQ uh, 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 abomination uh, institutions and uh, unfortunately, these organizations are not shy about their abomination, so much so that they have the audacity to call themselves Jewish, meaning that they're not just uh, calling themselves a, the, uh, the, uh, the acronym that the rest of the abominable people are using, but they're, call, they're adding the word Jewish to it, where you'll have a uh, LGBTQ Chabad or, or, or uh, JPY or some all types of other, uh, you know, uh, ridiculous acronyms and names that uh, they, uh, they give themselves. And again, I don't know if necessarily uh, the uh, Chabad, the institution, is advocating for this LGBTQ Chabad section, but the point is that you do have an institution like this. You do have a uh, JPL or JP something, whatever it is, all types of institutions that call themselves Orthodox Jewish, but yet are promoting something that is forsaken, forbidden, and literally called disgusting by a Kadosh Baruch Hu. So, in order for a person to know 
whether this is right or wrong and if they're confused by their uh, the people's manipulation of the words and saying yeah they can be that way and if not act that way and all types of things that you see on their websites and how they manipulate the text it's very simple you need to know what is the jewish ideology what is the right jewish ideology because the jewish ideology is not something that changes with the times just like the 13 principles of faith do not change with the times just like the Torah itself does not change with the times, the ideology does not change with the times. So this is the reason why if somebody has read this book, or better yet, has read the book along with us over the last 70 plus lectures, you wouldn't be confused by seeing some guy that calls himself a rabbi because he has a beard and a hat, that uh, a beard that grows by itself and a hat that you can get from a dollar store, and you're not going to uh, get so confused about it, simply because... You realize this is someone that is pretending, this is someone that is putting on a costume, because I know what the real deal looks like. I know what the truth looks like. And this is one of the most important things for a person to study. As a Jew, as anyone that wants to be Torah observant, it's important for you to learn what the truth is much more than learning what the falsehood is. Many people spend a lot of time studying the mistakes of Christianity in their text or studying the mistakes in uh, in, in the Quran, in their text, and studying the mistakes in, uh, let's say, the secular world and, and, and their uh, 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 scholarships and so on and all of their writings. There's no need to do that. The more you study the Holy Torah, the more you study the words of the sages, the clearer the picture will become. The clearer the picture is going to become. You don't necessarily need to be a, 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 a person that is so good at, uh, at identifying mold to identify whether this chicken or that chicken is better. Simply, once you know what a good chicken looks like, after you cook it, you realize this is good. The other one that has green stuff on it and all types of strange things growing out of it, that's not good. Very simple. Once you know what the Torah is supposed to look like, the right ideology looks like, it becomes very simple. And better yet, if you're looking at the, uh, you know, you're confused by teachers, different people that look righteous because they have the uniform if you will they have the uh uh uh, the the look if you will but they say things that are against the look very simple do you think that moses said what he said do you think that rabbi akiva said what he said do you think that sarai menu looked like she did because many times people ask me questions about rabbi such and such and this one person such and such and say listen this guy is uh, becoming very famous among the uh, uh the religious community uh, but he talks about how he watches movies and he curses a lot and uh you know but i'm confused because a lot of religious people are watching him obviously you're answering your own question with such a with such a comment if he's watching movies which the uh, the stipler gaon says is is considered a hundred percent idol worship idol worship to watch television to watch cable news to watch movies is considered idol worship according to the stipler gaon is he smarter than the stipler gaon does he know better than the stipler gaon show me one posek one posek that's considered a gdola do that's considered a righteous sage that's a giant among our people throughout any of the generations that says that he allows to watch movies or television or anything of the like show me one you're never gonna find one so if somebody goes out and gives a speech whether they're a rabbi of a kila of a thousand people or there's some joe schmo that has a business that he you know that he says makes millions of dollars but he also gives uh torah speeches for fun 
if they start telling you that they're watching television they watch movies automatically your your response to that should be deleted shut off and uh forbidden and blocked why because obviously this is a person that's violating the torah in public they have such audacity such such chutzpah that they're not even uh they're not even aware of the fact that what they're doing is going against everything that klal israel stands for the entire ideology now again it's very important for you to be the the person that judges yourself more than you judge other people but if you see that the speaker has character traits that are trying to emulate the angels of Hashem then you listen to him if you see that this person is trying to emulate the actions of the Gentiles the idol worshipers the people that are against God then run away from them this is simply a Gemara in Masechet Moed Katan page 17 B it's it's very clear in the Torah who a person is supposed to listen to the second you hear something that is contrary to what you've heard as part of the Masoret that you've heard from your parents and grandparents or you've read from the books or you've seen from this series or other other lectures it's very simple if it's the opposite usually it's not good that's that's what it really means so it's important for a person to know that you don't necessarily need to declare war against all of the people that are upside down really the most important thing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling us is that you need to declare war against your own Yetzirah because many times when people focus on the flaws of others only they forget to, to, to uh, fight the flaws on their own and this is in essence what this next chapter is about the the, the uh, Chazonish is in essence teaching us time and time again how important it is to learn Musar, how important it is to learn Alacha, how you have to learn both of them. You can't just learn one or the other because you'll end up failing miserably. And now this next chapter, which is uh, called Torat Amidot. Torat Amidot, in English, it translates to the study of morals, but really more precise, it uh, translates due to the Torah of character traits. The Torah of character traits. This whole chapter is about the Torah of character traits and it's important for us to know that this Torah of character traits is is a is is one of those things that is applicable to everyone whether you've watched the first 70 plus lectures or you're just starting out right now this applies to you already this is something you should learn already this is something you need to review already because this is going to teach you how there's literally a single step single decision that will distinguish a person from being on the path to being a tzaddik or a tzaddika versus a rasha or reshait, someone that's completely wicked. Literally one step. Of course, we could talk about a lot of different intricate details. This one likes to, uh, you know, uh, uh, bows to money. The other one bows to a statue. The other one bows to people's opinion. There's a lot of different things that people do. But the Chazonish sums it all up that there is a single step. A single step that a person can take in order to decide whether they're going to be righteous or they're going to be wicked and this is the the root of all of Musa all of Musa summed up into a single step so the Chazoni uh, starts off by saying that the Torah of character traits taught by the teachers of the fear of Hashem declared the ways of perfecting character traits to a special chapter in itself in a discipline of perfecting one's service of Hashem 
and has even worked on breaking up the traits into separate ones, such as anger, pride, craving, love of honor, love of dispute, vengefulness, spite. Common thinking has led to many people becoming convinced that perfection is made up of different parts. True, this is so when it comes to illness of the spirit and when it comes to finding ways to combat corrupting elements, but at the root of all character traits, there is only one good trait and one bad one. Up to here is where we'll discuss, and Bezat Hashem will go into what that one is, the good and the bad after, uh, Bezat Hashem. But here we see that the Chazonish, first off, starts off with a foreign language to perhaps most people, especially the English-speaking world, where instead of calling the sages, the sages, Chachamim, Rabbanim, rather he calls them something that is frowned upon, if you will, in modern-day English in many circles. Rather he calls them the teachers of fear of Hashem. Chachmei The people that are wise in regards to fear of Hashem. Yir'ah. He is taking note from them. Why? Because these are the people that have the wisdom. So the Rashidat Irat Hashem, the beginning of uh, the head of wisdom is, is, is a fear of the Almighty. Yirat Hashem, Iotzaro, the ultimate uh, uh, treasure that Hashem has is the fear of heaven. So those that possess this treasure of fear of Hashem they're the ones that not only have the wisdom, but also they're the ones that we want to learn from. You want to learn from the most wise. So the Chazuni says that this Torah of character traits, those people that, are, that have excelled in it, in regards to the best character traits, the most righteous people, the, 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 the most pleasant people, the, the most kind people, the most generous, those people are not just people that are born perfect. Rather, these are people that have been taught by the generation before them of the teachers of the fear of Hashem, and they them, and which in essence allowed them to become the teachers of the fear of Hashem. So these, this Masoet, this teachings for generation after generation since the time of Avraham Avinu, Avraham Avinu, that Hakadosh uh, Baruch Hu calls him Avraham Avi, Avraham my lover. He says, When he's about to slaughter his own son Yitzchak, Hashem tells him to stop and he says, Now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you fear me. So we see here that the fear of the Almighty is not just something to aspire to, but rather it's the foundation of everything. You cannot serve a Kadosh Baruch Hu without being afraid of him. And this, of course, as we've discussed many times before, different levels of fear. But here we see that the Chazonish is telling us that these teachers that have excelled in the fear of Hashem, they themselves have declared the ways of perfecting character traits to a special chapter, meaning they took a all of the teachings of, uh, of character trait development, of Musar, and in essence made a special chapter, a special teachings just about the development of character traits. And he designated this special cha- uh, chapter in order to perfect the person's service of Hashem. 
Meaning that here he's telling you first who you should learn from. If the person speaks against fear of the Almighty, if he tells you being afraid of God is a bad thing, automatically you know you don't need to listen to the rest of what he or she is saying. Further, he's saying that if you're going to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, rather than serve your own interest, if you're going to serve Hashem in your life and make your life meaningful, rather than making your life purposeless like the vast majority of society today that is just serving their own lusts and then ends up crying that they can never uh, feed feed themselves enough, if you're going to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you're going to need to learn this. You're going to need to learn and apply this discipline because this is going to allow you to perfect your servitude of Hashem. Now, this teachings of character development could easily be broken up into different traits, different uh, aspects of it. You have anger, you have pride, craving, love of honor, love of dispute, vengefulness, spite, all of these negative things that unfortunately you find everywhere. You find it in ourselves, you find it in others, you find it everywhere. It says, these things are things that you'll find everywhere. And the common thinking is that people have gotten to the point because they've gotten used to seeing all of this and, and they've seen the, the typical teachings that you see among uh, secular knowledge that perhaps these are all separate. But what the Chazonish is telling you, actually, they're not really so separate. They're actually one thing. Now, immediately when I first saw they said, oh yeah, of course, humility. If a person is humble, then he could fix everything. But that's not what he says. First and foremost, a person has to, before getting into, getting into the Torah of Musar, a person has to accept the fact that this is something that he needs. Because if a person thinks that he's perfectly fine, if she thinks that she's a perfect tzaddikit, because so long as she publicizes uh, another uh, uh, YouTube video or a Facebook post of some rabbi saying something, she thinks that makes her righteous. He thinks that as long as he you know, goes to shul, prays a little bit, perhaps learns a book of Musal, he's righteous. He's, think, he's not separating here between the secular and the religious. He's in essence talking to all of mankind. The average person will tell you, I'm a good person. What? What's wrong? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm not killing anybody. I'm not killing anybody. Well, what about that thing that happened with your wife? No, no, I didn't mean to. And it, you know, it was once in a while. It doesn't happen all the time. What, you mean just once in a while she gets you upset? You break a chair over her head? Just once in a while? Oh, thank God, it's only once in a while. No, listen, you're overreacting. Well, I don't know. Maybe the hospital bill was also overreacting. Many times a person will consider themselves good because they judge themselves based on what the majority of the time that they're doing. The majority of the time, they're not killing anybody. The majority of the time, they're not yelling at anyone. The majority of the time, they're not cursing. The majority of the time, they're not cheating. They're not lying. Majority of the time. And since the majority of the time, they're not doing all of these horrific things, okay, so what if I lost my mind that one time and uh, embarrassed that guy in public? Okay, so what if I, you know, punched him? You know, I didn't. I tried not to hit him so hard. Oh, and so what that I uh, spread her private news to the whole uh, to the whole community that one time? You know, I, I was really upset. You know, you shouldn't judge a person when he's upset. So what if I did this? And so what if it was only one time? 
this week or this month or today a person judges themselves in such a fashion and therefore arrives at a conclusion that yes i know i'm not perfect but i don't have that much to fix because i don't kill people every day i don't murder them on the internet every day i don't murder them in 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 reality every day i don't uh, cause them harm every day most of the day i'm okay most of the day i'm nice to my kid you know except when they don't want to listen to me and then i you know not so nice but most of the day i was good to them and a person will judge themselves that way and literally live like an animal that is a carnivore of the highest esteem that will not even eat uh, uh, a grass if its life depended on it literally an animal that wants to eat flesh at all times even if that flesh is its own embryos even if that flesh it's its own uh, 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 loved ones and be fine with it so it's important for us to know that a person can learn musar can learn alacha can be religious can be not religious can be jew or can be gentile think that they're perfectly fine but according to our torah according to akadosh Hu, is 100 percent an animal no less than the animals that are depicted by some of these wonder tales that they have in hollywood for dinosaurs and all types of crazy creatures that they invent now the torah gives a person a opportunity to perfect themselves but it doesn't come easy it's one of those things where a person has a lot of access to it in this generation more than ever where a person literally with the press of a button could literally have more torah available to them in a single click than the greatest sages of all time had uh, available to them they would have to travel months at a time to go to different people's houses rich people that had a big collection of books and park in their houses for six months or a year in order to learn what they needed to learn and in some cases for several years to get all the material they needed to get before they go to the next location today a person all they need is to press a button they go to bezatashem.org they go to a different uh, website alachayomit you go to a lot of different uh, places that have authentic torah different uh, books you have uh, hebrew books uh you have a uh, uh, uh chokhmah, all types of websites that literally have hundreds of thousands of books hundreds of thousands of books that a person can read just as much as you want but the reality is that no one's going to read it for you and the Torah is there to help a person perfect their character become a better servant of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but even more so become a better human being much better than what they are much better than what they think is even possible but it's not going to come easy the access is easy but the application and the learning of it is much more difficult how difficult Chachamim in the Gemara says in order for a person to acquire Torah they have to work so hard it's as if they have to get to a point of killing themselves so much so that they have to get to a point as if they are vomiting the breast milk that they drank as an infant from their mother meaning that you 
are used to all you did for the first 30 40 years and all of a sudden some rabbi is telling you listen you want to learn Torah okay you want to know real Torah you want to know superficial you want to know a story here and there you want to know a few things to say when people ask you questions or you want to know Torah Torah to the point where it changes you as a human being it makes you a malach makes you an angel you want to know that kind of Torah you have to be willing to literally vomit the milk you drank 30 40 years ago person's gonna look at you huh 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 exactly you have to be willing to die for it and it's one of those things that many people think that if they watch enough videos read a few books all of a sudden they can know everything no it doesn't work so much it doesn't work like that in fact there are many cases where people will learn a few things and all of a sudden they think that they're more religious than their rabbi oh no, no. the rabbi he helped me out get started but i don't i think i'm i think i passed him i think i passed him look i asked him a question he didn't know the answer or he made a mistake there or just like I don't know I think he's a little too lenient I'm going Shh. so a person has to not delude themselves and realize that just like you're learning the there are other people learning if you uh if you really want to acquire that Torah you have to be willing to give up everything for it but even more so for the average person that perhaps is not willing to give up everything for it because they don't necessarily see themselves as as a potential scholar or as a potential sage and so on this too is also for them and the reason why is because everyone knows the damage that bad character traits bring to a person the 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 damage that a bad character trait brings to a marriage or any type of relationship that you have in business or otherwise the damage that a bad character trait brings into parenting the bad uh, uh, damage that it creates from being a child you know you have uh, parents older parents the the fact is that everyone has suffered one way or another from either their own or some other person's bad character traits at one time or another and most likely both and a person that doesn't realize the uh the impact of bad character traits simply is living a uh, illusion so here the Chazonish brings us a few examples he says that these character traits that people look into they look into them typically separate separate because this separation is true that there's if you're angry it's true that you are spiritually sick if you are prideful it's true that you're spiritually sick you have craving and so on now a person that's angry or has somebody angry in their family automatically that person needs to readjust their life if they want to maintain relationships if he's angry and he wants to maintain healthy relationships he has to learn how to control his anger or how to get to a point of running away from people as soon as he's angry like you know like the uh some uh, some hulk that uh, becomes green once he, once he gets angry now, of course when you're angry you forget that you even have a, a good inclination and you want to cause all types of damage better yet if you are somebody that is connected to somebody married to somebody or, or you have a, any type of relationship with somebody that's angry one of the first things you need to know is that the uh the Gemara says you see somebody that's truly angry you're not, look, not allowed to look at their face 
not to look at their face and don't even talk to them while they're angry don't try to calm them down simply walk away why once they're angry it's like somebody that's worshiping an idol they're completely deluded it's like talking to some of these christians that swear that their yoshke is god it's uh, or talking to some unfortunately some uh jews and telling them that their uh, rebbe is not mashiach and they start all of a sudden they forget that they're jewish they forget that you're jewish and all of a sudden they have all the venom in the world comes out of their mouth and they spew so much hate and so much so many deluded comments that you don't even know what to do with these people so sometimes when a person is angry the the only cure you have is time meaning you walk away let him cool off let her cool off and then once they've cooled off perhaps you can socialize with this person once again now many times a person can ruin things just because of his anger they could literally have a multi-million dollar deal in place and both parties show up to the contract they're in some fancy conference room everybody is discussing everything and all of a sudden one of the assistants that works in his office comes and brings a coffee for everybody she walks in and brings coffee for everybody that she made she asked everybody how many sugars they want and whether they want milk or not she made sure that everybody got exactly what they want now he is excited about this he's proud about this of how he's you know he's he's serving his uh, his, his customers that are about to sign a multi-million dollar deal with him but as you would have it she messes up slips a little bit and some of the coffee spills on the table worse yet some of it even spills on his customer not intentionally not something that she did in order to cause anyone pain but simply an accident but he in his anger and his rage can't believe that this just happened she spilled the coffee it went on the papers it went on the customer it went on the table it's embarrassing and he loses his mind now he may think that he is defending the honor of his firm of his own of his customer even but the only thing that his customer is thinking about is how quickly can i get out of this how quickly can i get out of this room how do i renege out of this whole deal who wants to deal with such a monster if he is that difficult if he is that animalistic when it comes to some coffee what is he going to do if it's more than that so many times anger can cause trouble that a person doesn't usually foresee because it's spare of the moment and of course this is something that a person needs to work on we all get angry at different times there is a certain amount of anger that is natural for all but there is a way to do it, deal with it and even more so there's levels of anger there's an inner anger that a person has because somebody just insulted you somebody just did something wrong to you naturally a person is going to get upset about it but once a person starts voicing out their rage voicing out their anger starts you know uh, yelling screaming uh, starts uh, cursing shalom, or worse yet start hitting things or throwing things that already the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat is what they call this is a person that's serving an idol 
serving an idol so a person could be torah observant a person could be someone that even teaches the law a person could be someone that's overall fine a decent human being but in that moment of weakness they brought on themselves a horrible horrible judgment so much so that the sages teach in the Zohar Kadosh that in that moment the person is expressing his, his actual rage he could literally be as his neshama could be replaced with a wicked person's neshama and now he has to do tshuva in order to get back his, his good neshama so this is a this is something that's bigger than just saying oh yeah he gets angry i know myself most of my life i knew that anger was just simply part of me i was born that way and when when i heard for the first time that this is something you need to work on you need to remove this i said yeah what do you mean remove it i was born this way how do you remove something you're born with i can't remove my arm until you start learning the Torah Midot, you start learning what Midot are, how you have to perfect them and so on, and you start realizing not only do you need to remove it, but in order for you to even have a chance to get to where you want to be, it has to be uprooted altogether. Now in the secular world, the scholars of the secular world teach that you need to control your anger. And controlling your anger meaning that you have to contain it okay your assistant just spilled the coffee on you on the table on your customer keep it inside sure they agree with you she's an idiot sure she's not careful sure all types of things but don't express it because you could lose the deal contain it later on minute two minutes it'll pass and even if it doesn't just walk away to the bathroom smash your head against the wall a few times and that'll pass that's how they teach it in the secular world you have to control it the holy torah sages don't tell you to control your anger but rather they teach you to remove it altogether remove your anger meaning that you have to learn enough torah to realize that there's never a reason there's never a valid reason for you to express your anger that way now of course there's the anger against idolatry and people desecrating God's name but that's not the same form of anger the anger of Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Cohen, the anger of Moshe Rabenu, the anger of the righteous people is not the same anger as somebody that just got cut off on the highway there's two different types of angers one is an anger that is defending his own honor his own pride and the other one is an anger that's defending the pride of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. These are worlds of differences. One is an anger that is an uh, abomination in the eyes of Hashem, and the other one is a sanctification of Hashem's name. The two different ways of expressing such an anger. One person breaks things, the other one is simply trying to eliminate the, 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 the whole thing that's causing the defamation of Hashem's name. So, one anger that the secular teachings would tell you to contain is going to perhaps calm you down in the next meeting perhaps maybe you're not going to lose your mind in the next time somebody cuts you off but truth be told this is only uh, it's only a matter of time before that anger comes out with a vengeance and the animal that's still you is expressed even worse than it was this whole time Meaning that containing your anger doesn't change you as a human being. 
In fact, you remain an animal, a vicious animal, an animal that perhaps has a higher tolerance for, uh, you know, for reacting, but nonetheless, an animal. To remove the anger is to understand who's the one that's bringing you this test, to understand where this is coming from. Removing of the anger turns the person into an angel. So you have at one end the secular people, the scholars in the secular world, and even the other religions are going to teach you to simply contain the anger until it's worthwhile to massacre who's in front of you because you can't contain it any further and thereby remaining an animal all along. While the sages of the Torah teach you how to become an angel by removing the anger altogether. Further, there are certain people that have pride. People are looking for credit. She did this and therefore she wants everyone to know. He did this and therefore he wants everyone to know. People literally live their life like homeless people begging for change, but instead of begging for change, they're begging for acknowledgement. Oh, you see what I did? Yeah, yeah, I built that. I did that. Okay, great. Congratulations. Oh, just congratulations? Why, you could do it? And they start competing with people that are not even in the contest. Why? Because they didn't give them enough credit. A person that's seeking pride is a very, very miserly person. It's a very, very sad case. Why? Because this person is constantly looking for acknowledgement and will never have enough. Because even if they have, even if they have their 15 minutes of fame and they do something that gets not just acknowledgement of their peers or their parents, but they get literally uh, notoriety in the whole world. They're on the news. And they get their few minutes where they tell everybody that they did such and such. They wrote such and such. They did such and such. It's still a miserable situation. In fact, it's even more miserable than it was before. Why? Because while they were seeking for people to give them honor to be proud about something to 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 people to agree that they are great and so on and they were like everybody else here and there they would get something that would pacify them and they would always strive for more because more was always possible once they got their 15 minutes of fame what they used to do on a regular basis is no longer enough because now the new measurement is their top their peak when they were on tv so they wrote something that got notoriety but after that everything else that they write even if it's good and perhaps even if it's better if it doesn't get the notoriety then it's not worth it i know even some people that are in a from community where literally they beg for any type of notoriety that they could possibly get and they get so uh, 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 bent on trying to get their articles or whatever it is that they're doing an interview of some kind on some type of uh, news network oh you see it got coverage at the uh, ABW network in Tallahassee who watches this other than the 600 people that live there yeah but it's a, it's a, it's a major network and they start you know they get so ecstatic about somebody covering their article or their their interview that it's seriously sick why because 10 20 years ago they got some major network or some uh, some uh, news outlet to cover their topic 
And they think, oh, see, I have to constantly compete with it. And this is a very sad scenario. A very sad scenario indeed. Then there's a person that's simply a lustful person. A lustful person that is constantly looking for a way to satisfy his desires, whether it's desire for money, desire for for intimacy, desire for all types of lust. And unfortunately, these types of desires have been discussed many times in the movie Tikkun Abrit, or Chibuta Kever, or the Shiur about Genom. These types of people, literally, there is no end to them other than Genom. Why? Because a person that's constantly looking to satisfy their lust will never be satiated. The more they feed their lust, the hungrier they become. And this is across the board. If a person is, does not know how to control their lust for food, they will eventually become an obese beast that's not able to leave their bedroom. Now, of course, some of the people say, yeah, but you know, there are some big rabbis. They're also heavy. They're not heavy, by the way, because they eat a lot. They're heavy because of their way of life. Not because they eat a lot. You're never going to find a, uh, uh, one of these uh, uh, big tzaddikim eating a six-course meal like some of the people do on a regular basis on Wall Street. No. You're going to see them eat maybe one meal a day, sometimes even one meal every couple of days. But because of the lack of exercise and a uh, dedication to the Torah in such a fashion, their uh, limited sleep and so on, you'll see them gain weight or their body puff up and many times... Uh, not necessarily be the healthiest body altogether, but their neshama is, is, is healthier than anything you could possibly imagine. So bigger doesn't necessarily mean uh, that they're, they have a lust for food. Even more so, the people that do have a lust for food, you see that they are not productive in society with many other things. Many times their lust for food or lust for other things impedes their ability to function at their peak. They're not capable of being the best they can possibly be. Even if they're good at something, they're not as good as they could be because of their lust. And you'll see that many times in Hollywood and in, in different in corporate America and other uh, 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 countries of the uh, the business world. You'll see many times these really big stars, uh, star businessmen, star investors, star actors or athletes and so on, literally lose everything due to their lust for something so a lustful person surely is a bad character trait that all of us are aware of all of us have seen and have heard of then there are certain people that simply love honor not only they're uh, they're proud people that they're arrogant that they think they're better than everybody else but they're constantly chasing it in such a fashion that it becomes their only uh, 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 goal in life then there are people that love dispute. They like fighting. They are. They have a uh, a, uh, a lust for arguing and winning. This is typically something that is in the secular world is uh, a lust that lawyers and uh, judges have, uh, and also all types of other professionals, especially as you go high up the ladder. The better a person is, the more likely they are to develop this lust for dispute, meaning that they start negating the other side simply because they already have a pre-existing opinion. 
and they're happy to debate it and typically these people love to debate not because they feel like they have the winning formula but rather because they feel that they can prove that they have the winning formula even if their formula is not necessarily true so they'll be able to prove that their client is innocent even if they know for sure that the client's not innocent but because of their clever speaking skills and different analytical skills and manipulation of the law manipulation of the language they're able to do such a thing and of course you see this is even in the so-called uh, uh, uh religious people that uh they love to debate they love to argue with other people to prove that they know better than other people and as we've spoken about in the past of some wicked people that want to debate everyone because they don't lose a debate of course they're deluded but nonetheless this is a person that clearly or people that clearly have a lust for winning where this lust is not a ambition but rather it's a lust that is simply takes whatever right or wrong whatever morals that you're supposed to have and throwing it in the garbage in order to satisfy this lust and of course we've all seen certain people that sometimes in a family sometimes are friends colleagues where they always argue doesn't matter what you do doesn't matter what you do they're always arguing it could be something big like what do you guys think about we change office location 10 people saying yeah yeah you know what it's good yeah we should go to the other street because more customers there and it's closer to everybody's house and this and then there's one little rotten apple is no why change what's wrong with this what's wrong with everything here we should stay here focus on what you're supposed to be doing listen you guys are not focused and starts negating the whole thing the majority of people want to change he doesn't want to change he doesn't want to change not because their argument makes sense in fact if it was their idea to change they would say yeah let's go change but because it wasn't their idea they go against it and such people can get so bent out of shape so much that even they'll argue about the smallest things in the world things like lunch literally you'll have oh what do you guys want to eat everybody wants to order kosher Chinese food kosher Chinese food no no I'm not gonna order well, you guys can order I'm not gonna do it well, why not you're not hungry no no I'm gonna I'm gonna get something on my own I, I'm not I'm not I'm not interested well but last week you were interested in Chinese food you're the one like no 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 I'm not that's why I don't want they want to argue not nah, because it wasn't their idea there are certain people that they have to argue they have to argue say oh the best color this company has is blue yeah maybe you think it's blue it's really not blue you don't think you know what you're talking about it's purple but you said blue last week yeah no no but then I investigate and it's purple he didn't really investigate he has to win he has to argue he has to do everything the opposite these people are literally unbearable but you find them you find them in different places you find them in different homes you could find them even on a kiddush on shabbat you could find them in a synagogue where everybody agrees that a certain speaker should come he's the one guy that says no everyone agrees that we should hire this one person he says no everyone says we should fire this person he says no or it's always he has to be the contrarian 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 sounds like a good thing and at times it is but if you're contrarian for the sake of being a contrarian you're literally a nightmare to be around a nightmare to be around if you find yourself 
only going the opposite side only seeing the negative in everyone else never seeing anything positive there is a very serious problem now of course this contrarian this prideful person this lustful person this angry person could literally be watching this as we speak and have no clue that i'm talking about him or her not that i'm talking about any one particular person but rather you realize that this applies to certain people if a person does not do some self-checking they even if you tell them straight to their face they won't get it why because they simply don't see the wrong in themselves unless they're investigating themselves further a person could be one that is a vengeful person a vengeful person is a person that does not forgive ever and this is a very very sick very sick state so much so that he a person can take this sick disease with him to Olamaba. now of course you can say on one end that some people have the right to be vengeful and you're right they have the right to be vengeful according to the logic of mankind but if you look at things from a full scope it's not necessarily so there is an extraordinary story that the Minchat Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda Ftaya, brings in his uh, Minchat Yehuda Sefer. And uh, this story really put things in perspective of how far vengefulness goes. And also, measure for measure, how HaKadosh Baruch manages the world. Now, as I told you in the past, the Rabbi Yehuda Ftaya was a Mekubal, a uh, extraordinary sage one of the Gdoleado over the last hundred years and uh one of the Talmidim of the Benishchai who dealt with things that perhaps only the uh biggest in the uh, uh, in history dealt with things that many great sages ran away from just because of how uh, difficult it is and I don't mean difficult in just the learning but difficult in, in, in essence as far as the cost of it where anytime you deal with the other side you there's a very big cost to it he himself for example uh two of his sons died during his lifetime because of it so it's not one of those things oh just because he learned a lot therefore you can go do a lot of things there's a cost to everything this is the part that a lot of people don't perhaps talk about but nonetheless it's true there's a very big cause to deal with the other side with the supernatural things with the spiritual stuff is the reason why a few years ago I told you guys that if you have certain uh, uh, things in your house or in your uh, uh, in your day-to-day uh, uh, readings and so on that include Kabbalistic names of angels and so on you should take those and put them in Igniza because if you're not holy enough to have such things those angels could actually take revenge against you so it's very important for a person to know what they're dealing with and not just uh you know act uh ignorant uh when when, when everything is on the line now Rabbi Yudaftaya made it his business to learn about the, the the different parts of Kabbalah that allowed him to deal with help with people uh help people uh that had Dibukim but also help those Dibukim help those trapped souls of wicked people that lived a life you know that was uh, uh, uh comprised of 
one sin or another some were completely wicked people like Shabtai Tzvi Shem Reshaim Yerkav and some were people that literally made one sin they committed adultery one time and because of that one time they committed adultery and that woman going back to her husband which was forbidden for X amount of years that person was judged in Kafakela for a hundred years or more so the, uh, the the sins is not necessarily everybody was a sinner their whole life some people made one sin some people may made more and he dealt with all different types of things and he actually at one point told one of these neshamot that he was helping i uh i appreciate uh, the chesed that you're doing for me so this neshama that he's trying to help to get to elevate it to uh to uh, to fix it if you will from uh, uh by spiritually removing all of the filth that's on that neshama due to its sins asked the rabbi Daftaya, how am i doing chesed by you and rabbi Daftaya says oh well i sacrificed a lot to learn all of this and it would have been sad had i not been able to use it but because of you and the other neshama that come to me i'm able to apply this torah that i learned and it's not for naught so anyway he was known already as a big mekubal a big tzaddik and he documented many of the stories each one of these stories that he documents has eyewitnesses in fact his shamash that uh writes the uh uh in the beginning of this book says that uh, he was there the whole time with every single story rabbi Yitzchak machlab that uh, he himself was present at everything that's reported in this work so this is not just his version this is a version that other people witnessed and Rabbi Yudhaftaya documents and is if you will almost like a journal of things that uh, he dealt with that in the year 5679 1919 on Friday the 5th of Av he traveled to a village near Baghdad called Bakwa uh, Bakuba Bakuba and uh, he went to uh, the home of Rabbi Ruven Nisim David Katsav and over there the after praying and uh, and being hosted by the Rav Rabbi Ruven Nisim uh, told him perhaps the Rabbi Udaftaya would come with him to uh, the home of one of the people in the community named Moshe Sasha Kohen who just lost his only son was murdered his son by the name of Menashe and him this Moses Sasha and his wife were crying hysterical they were already elderly in their 70s this was their only son they had no other kids they had no uh, grandkids but they knew that Akadosh Baruch Hu doesn't do anything for no reason and they asked the Mekubala Eloki Rabbi Yudaftaya, could his honor possibly tell us why Menashe was killed? Why did it happen? And if it was a reincarnation of someone meant to be reincarnated and then killed, what sin have we committed to deserve such a terrible grief? So, of course, Rabbi Yudaftaya said to them, Sure, I'll look into it. And uh, he prayed to Akadosh Baruch Hu. To give him the ability to do such a thing but this is not like uh 
the movies, Hocus Pocus, on the spot, you get to see. No, you have to pray for it. Akadosh Baruch has to decide if and when. And he says that on, the, on a few days later, on Monday the 8th of Av, he returned to Baghdad, and on the 9th of Av, during the morning services of Lamentations, he had a vision. He dozed off as the lamentations were being said, and he saw a vision. Akadosh Baruch Hu gave him a vision of something that transpired. And to save you the, the time, he says exactly this. There was a young boy traveling from Baghdad to the village of Bakuba, and uh, he had a hundred golden dinars on him, that he was doing business in order to provide for his aging father and mother that he left in Baghdad. And when he arrived at Bakuba, he rented a room at some inn. And an old man realized that the boy had a hundred golden dinars on him and wanted to steal it from him. But since he was too old and weak to do it on his own, he shared his secret with another thief, a young Jew, and they made a plan. So the young man would perform the robbery while the old man kept the watch. And the old man would get a share of the, uh, of the money and so did the uh, young man would. They got the key for the room that the boy rented and that night the boy was sleeping with the door locked from the inside and the two thieves came in the young thief unlocked the room with uh, without making a sound since he had the key. And the first thing that he did is he plunged the knife into the heart of the sleeping boy and spilled his blood on the ground. But as he was searching for the hundred dinars, a large caravan arrived at the inn and the two thieves were afraid for, the, for being caught and they ran away without taking anything. <coughs> and in the morning... It was discovered that the kid was killed and they sent a hundred dinars to his parents in Baghdad. So here you have a story that happened many years before that of this young boy that got murdered. This young boy was a Jew that was trying to do chesed for his parents to make a living to help his older parents. And that's a story that most people know. Rabbi Yudhaftai sees in a vision of what happens after they murdered this boy. He said that this boy, after being buried, the soul went up to the high court of Shamayim and demanded that the murderer and the old man be prosecuted so that his blood will be avenged. Meaning, I want revenge on these people. Why? Not only did they murder me without taking anything, but they also put my family in danger because now no one's going to be able to make a living for them. So I want a, not only a revenge, I want what was done to me to be done to them. So he's also killed with no money of his taken that he be providing for his parents in their old age and to leave no descendants. Because of them, I wasn't able to leave any kids in this world. I want them also to have the same thing. So this neshama is in Shamaim asking for revenge. And exactly that happened.
after the old man that was part of the murder died it was decided in Shemaim that he's, this is going to happen to him they asked the boy again the neshama of the boy do you want to forgive him he says no i want my revenge multiple times they asked him do you want to you want to do it no i'm doing i'm gonna i want i want revenge i want revenge so they put this wicked person this old man in a certain place waiting for the time waiting for the time and Rabbi Udaftaya says, all that I have written here is what I saw, not what I heard in the story. I saw this whole thing. So all of this transpired. And he says the following. One day there was a, uh, a couple. A couple that uh, came to uh, the same exact hotel where this was a time where it was very busy and they had no more rooms and uh this couple was there on business saying listen we need to make a living we do something we need to stay here okay we have one room the uh the hotel knew that they didn't know that this room is the room that this uh, boy was killed years before so he cleaned up the room that hasn't been rented in years and he gave him the room that night that man and his wife sat together slept together and the court in Shemaim summoned the murdered boy and said to him the time has come for the soul of the killer to be reborn in the world do you forgive him or not and this boy says i do not forgive him at all in that case they said to him go down and stand by the door of the room where you were killed the boy who had been murdered descended and stood there until the old man got into bed with his wife meaning the two people that are actually living in this world they went into bed together and then the soul of the murderer the old man arrived also right next to the boy terrified because he knows he can't defend himself terrified and afraid to enter enter what the drop of semen that's going to go from the man that's alive into his wife so the murdered boy stood there and beat him saying enter that drop you rasha and accept your punishment and against his will the soul entered the drop and this was the son of moshe sasha meaning those two parents that are asking why did our son why did i why did our son get killed why did our son get killed something happened writes it to them yes your son was a murderer in the previous carnation and he tells them exactly the story of what his son did now we don't have anybody in our generation that can do such a thing but here you see that there is no such thing as a damage that someone's going to get on their finger without a bedin and shamayim looking at every single detail but even more so the reason why i thought of this story is because you see that someone that's a vengeful person is going to carry it with them even after they leave this world 
a person that's vengeful they could literally if somebody harms them in one way they they insult them they do whatever they do to them if they're not going to work on themselves they're going to carry that vengeful that that revenge that anger that animosity that that thought in their mind permanently so much so that they're really going to kill themselves as a result of it is a story it's a, an analogy that uh Rabbi Ephraim says there was once a big snake an anaconda that uh was uh you know traveling in the woods and uh, just so happened that at that time there was a uh group of people that were cutting trees and one well, you know they decided to take a break from work and go take a lunch this anaconda wanted to see what's going on over here and he started roaming around roaming around roaming around and uh he saw this electric saw he didn't know what it was and he decided to bite it put his lips on it put his mouth on it and it cut him the anaconda got so angry he says what you cut me and he started suffocating it suffocating the electric saw and realized that he's not getting anywhere yet so he did it even more and he realized he's starting to bleed started biting it and he's bleeding more no I'm gonna get it I'm gonna we're gonna die together if I have to you're gonna end and his anger his fury his revenge eventually led to his own death that's anger that leads to revenge or vengefulness that's what it leads to it leads to a suicide that's what it leads to a person that carries such anger is only hurting themselves only hurting themselves because even if they eventually get the other person they're ruining themselves in the process not only the ultimate end of what ends up here where it eventually as we saw from Rabbi Daftaya, eventually everything turns around as Hillel Azaken said in Mishnah Perkeavot, when he saw that there was a skull floating in the river he looks at the skull and he says you are floating in the river because somebody murdered you and somebody murdered you because you did the same thing to somebody else you murdered somebody else and whoever murdered you the same thing is going to happen to them there's no such thing as you do it and you're runaway sky free doesn't work that way who manages the world with measure for measure you did something to somebody they'll do it to you somebody will do it to you may not be the same physical person but but it most likely will be the same neshama depending on the damage unless a person does chuva but the key is to understand is that this person that thinks he's getting his he's getting the he's bringing uh judgment to the world because he's getting back at this person that hurt him you're not hurting him you're only hurting yourself you're only hurting yourself so vengefulness is a very big disease that simply kills the person without even realizing it until it's too late by the time the snake realized that he's dying it was already too late now with all that being said the chazonish now goes into 
the details. The details are all of these bad parts that we all are aware of. But now he says that the common thinking is that these are all separate parts. That's the way we're taught. And it's true. These are all bad character traits. These are all bad things. But that's only if you want to identify that someone has a spiritual illness. If somebody is a spiteful person, a stingy person, an arrogant person, an angry person, and so on and so forth, you don't need to know if he has everything. If he has just one of them, you know he's spiritually sick. But if you're looking to make him healthy, looking at just that one character trait is the wrong way of looking at it. Why? You have to look at the root of all character traits. And thereby you will find that there's only one good trait and one bad one. What's this one good one and one bad one what we've been waiting for for an hour and 15 minutes for? The bad trait is that of leaving natural life to its natural processes. If a person makes no effort to the contrary, he will become skilled in all the bad traits. He will be the most angry, the most vengeful, the most prideful, all to the extreme. He will not lack even one of the bad traits enumerated by the sages. On the other hand, the good trait is the absolute determination to put moral feelings above that of desire. And from that starting point, a person can fight against all the bad traits together. The determination cannot be partial for a person whose enlightened intellect and high quality of soul has awakened him and influenced him to choose the good. When he is feeling elevated, he strives for endless good and cannot be satisfied with the good he does. He sees in front of him an eternal and infinite world and hates all the bad traits together. Here the Chazunish gives us a shocking new development when it comes to the character development. We've all discussed endless times about the different intricate details like we discussed today. What anger leads to, what vengefulness leads to, pride leads to, and so on. He says, to identify that someone is spiritually sick, all you need to do is find one of them. But the truth be told, if you want to cure this person, you cannot just address that anger. You cannot just address that stinginess. You cannot just address that arrogance. If you want to address the flaw in that person, that spiritual sickness in that person, you can't address all of those individually. In fact, you have to look at it as a single bad trait. What is that bad trait? That person has simply decided that they are whatever they are, and that's the way it's going to be. They have a bad trait, and they're leaving it as is. And let it carry where it's going to carry. And thereby this person makes no effort to change himself. And because he makes no effort to change himself, he makes no effort 
to stop being angry and eliminate his anger. He makes no effort to stop being stingy. He makes no effort to stop being jealous. He makes no effort to stop being so prideful. He makes no effort to stop being vengeful. No effort. Why? Listen, I'm the way I am. He says that in itself makes him a wicked person. Why? Because once he has something bad, it's not that he's deluding himself to think it's good. He just thinks this is the way that I am. Because he thinks, oh, I don't need to fix this, or it's just too big to fix, or I'm just not going to fix it, not now, maybe later on in my life. Because of that type of attitude to let things fall as they may, that in itself makes him so wicked that he will be horrible in all bad character traits. Meaning, he's not only going to be an angry person, he's also going to be a stingy person. He's also going to be an arrogant person. He's also going to be a, a, a vengeful. He's going to be everything. He just maybe he's not angry about everything because let's say his worst character trait is that he's, uh, let's say he's stingy. Doesn't want to share what he has with people. Even if it doesn't cost him anything. So he's all, that same person that's stingy will also be the angry person. Now he may not angry, may not be angry with small stuff like the coffee that his assistant spilled it's not going to get him upset the the guy that cut him off in the highway it's not going to get him upset but whoa if somebody answered the phone and as a joke oh pretended to be somebody else or if somebody took is a uh, something that's his that uh you know when he was in a hurry or if somebody was uh doing anything that broke that threshold all of a sudden that lion comes out and he wants to eat everybody's head alive meaning he's not going to be angry at the small stuff like the guy that has a specific horrible trait of anger where he's quick to anger but when he does get angry he's going to be the worst and the same thing otherwise the guy that's vengeful he's vengeful and he's not going to let anything go why you called you called him a name one time or you didn't say hello to him one time or you didn't call him one time or you didn't invite him one time chasoni says he's not only going to be a vengeful angry person he's also going to be a proud person the second that he has anything that he can claim to be his he's going to make sure that not only he's going to be proud of it as if he built it as if he did it he's gonna make sure he uses it to take revenge against all the people yeah i'm gonna show them that i can do it you know many people build their whole careers and their whole life why to show everybody i told them they can't do it that they can do it they think that's a mo that's a good motivation no it's not a good motivation to go do something just to prove other people that told you you can't do it is not a healthy motivation I know they say it in the movies and in the books and all of these so-called successful people say, yeah, everybody told me that I can't do it. So that motivated me and inspired me to do it. It shouldn't motivate you. You should be self-motivated. You should do what you want to do because you want to do it and not care what anybody else says. But that means that you've gotten to the Midat Aishtavut. What is the Midat Aishtavut? That's what... The Chovot HaLevavot says it's the perfect person, it's the perfect Chassid. 
like Rabbi Israel Misalat got to this Midah where it didn't matter whether you were cursing them out or you were giving him compliments. It was all the same to him. You give him compliments. Oh, thank you. I don't think I'm quite as great as you say I am. Hashem, but thank you for thinking great of me. Or someone that uh, would insult him. Oh, I'm sorry that you feel that way. But the same exact reaction. Inside his heart, same exact reaction. This one is this, this one is that. Doesn't make a difference. A person that is motivated primarily because people say that he can't do it or she can't do it, it's not a healthy motivation. Why? Because eventually it'll burn out. Eventually it'll end. Either because you achieved it and now you no longer have that motivation. So you worked all all your life to get to this one point. Eventually you proved everybody wrong. But then you got there and you realize you don't want to do it anymore. Or better yet, a person can work, 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 and not get to where they want to be. And thereby, that failure has a double impact. Not only they wasted a lot of time, but now they feel the embarrassment that they created for themselves because somebody told them they can't do it 10 years ago. And even though that person 10 years ago forgot all about that they told them that and even forgot about who they are sometimes, still in their mind, that statement, that uh, meaning still exists. It's still alive like it happened yesterday. So now their failure is magnified and they can't move on to something else. They can't, you know, go somewhere else. Why? I can't give up now. Then it's going to prove everybody else right. Who right? The people that are in your imagination? They've gone on with their life. So to go and be, to, to, to use everyone else that's telling you you can't do something as your primary motivation to go do something is by far one of the dumbest motivations in the world. Why? Because you lose either way. You lose either way. But that's secular knowledge for you. The Holy Torah tells you, no, no. You want to be inspired by something? Be inspired because it's good to do good. Not because you want to prove everybody that you're good. Not because you want to prove everybody that you're better. Simply, it's good to do good. Self-motivation. Now this person that is a spiteful person, this person that's a vengeful person, that simply decides that this is the way that they are, they will excel. They will excel at all the bad traits. When push comes to shove and the moment of truth comes, even if they're not naturally angry, like they are vengeful, like they are spiteful, like they are stingy or anything else, when push comes to shove, they'll show how an angry person really looks like. When push comes to shove, and even though their primary failure is to be a proud person, when push comes to shove and the moment of truth comes, they'll show people what stingy really looks like. What stingy really looks like. Why? Because once a person decides to abandon character development and simply, this is the way they are, you need to live with it, you need to adjust to them, not they need to fix themselves. That in itself makes that person literally a walking time bomb. At all times, they're about to explode. 
with one thing or another it's not always anger it could be something else an expression of a different bad character traits but nonetheless they will excel at all of the bad traits meaning that the chazonish here is telling us something monumental is that you cannot address just the anger you cannot address just this you have to address the whole thing and that in essence brings us to the next point of what's the good trait because just like we have the bad trait is a single trait which is simply abandoning any so any any uh, uh effort to fix yourself that's the worst trait the good trait is the absolute determination to put moral feeling above that of desire and from that starting point a person can fight against all the bad traits together here he's telling you something that is extraordinary because in essence what he's telling you is that just like the bad trait is a determination to simply just do nothing the good trait that decision that can turn a person from being on a path of being the worst person on planet earth depending on the capabilities that who gives them because one person could be a horrible person but Hashem contains the damage by either killing them off early or their damage is only going to affect let's say one or two families or he could be a really horrible person that's magnified could be Hitler both were horrible just this one Hashem gave him only a limited capacity and the other one gave him a bigger capacity depending on the judgment in heaven on the other end as far as when it comes to the person who decides to change that path and go towards a direction of righteousness to go on the same path as the chazonish the same path as Ravadia, same path as baba sali same path as moshe rabbeinu what it's a decision a decision to the extent of being determined to put moral feelings above that of desire to the point where a person is going to now realize he has to fight all evil character traits within himself it's very easy for a person to say i'm gonna be a superhero and fight all evil somewhere else but the best way to fight all evil somewhere else and really the only way to have the merit to fight evil everywhere else is to start by fighting the evil within us because so long as a person is fighting the evil within himself that in itself is going to eliminate the evil that's around him because if he is removing his let's say lust for money automatically when those people that are also lustful for money want to give him an opportunity to steal along with them he says no no yeah but we need you for that plan too bad for you i'm not in i don't have that lust for money not doing it not going to break the law not the law of god not the law of man so his his work his work to perfect himself is in itself destroying evil but if he focuses only on the evil of others i'm gonna be a superhero and fight the evil of the world in reality all he will do is just create more evil he will not fight actual real evil and that's in essence what 
the Chazunish is telling us here that this absolute determination of putting the moral feeling above that desire moral feeling meaning that he's looking at the feeling that he has of what is right and wrong according to the Torah versus desire I have a desire to beat all the bad people fine that's great but is that what God wants from you yeah God doesn't want bad people sure but does he did he ever say that you're allowed to go murder people no but isn't that doing the world a favor according to you it is but maybe maybe God wants them in the world maybe God wants those bad people in the world who says that you're what Torah law allows you to go kill bad people if you were the Sanhedrin and they went to the court and you got the Dean then it's the Torah is actually executing the law but you going out there out of your way and becoming a murderer in the name of the Torah that's not a Torah that's not a Torah a person has to understand that this moral feeling that he has that's coming from a Torah that has the foundation of a Torah has to always be superior to his own lusts his own lust could be something that he thinks is good and in fact most of the time thinks he's good she thinks it's the right thing to do to publicize that her next door neighbor cheated on her husband she thinks it's a good idea to do it why why she, she's a she's a zona I'm doing a mitzvah by publicizing it did you ask the rabbi did you get permission do you have enough proof do you have enough witnesses did you follow the law they think it's a great thing to do to go protest outside of his house because he doesn't want to give his wife a get did you get permission from the court did you get a permission from the did you get did you just go do all you just decide because he doesn't want to give his wife a get and he's a bad guy therefore you're allowed to spill the blood of him and everybody else that lives in that that's involved in that household a person that takes the law into their own hand is not a person that is following Musar it's a person that's following lust they have a lust to win they have a lust to be right they have a lust to to uh, re- revenge but they'll put a sticker on it and call it Torah they'll put a sticker on it and call it this is righteousness and it's not righteousness so here the Chazonish is telling us that this good trait that's the ultimate trait is an absolute determination to put the moral feeling which is in essence based on the Torah above that of desire and from that starting point the person can fight against all of the bad traits how could he fight against all the bad traits he is let's say angry but because he's angry he's also vengeful and he's also spiteful and sometimes that spite and that anger uh, leads him to be stingy and that also makes him arrogant because the root of all evil is the arrogance and that also sometimes leads him to all types of other uh, uh horrible things so how could this determination get him to fight against all the bad traits because this determination is not just a superficial determination where somebody saw uh let's say a a, a, a weekly torah shiur talking about don't waste seed or don't violate shabbat or don't uh i don't know do something that's wrong and he said okay you know what i'm gonna stop wasting seed now he can stop wasting seed he can stop violating shabbat he can stop stealing but still remain an animal why because you heard it somewhere you're doing it but you're not yet determined to change your whole life you're changing let's say your job and you're no longer going to be a thief in the cash advance business 
and perhaps you're going to stop inviting uh, uh, Christian missionaries to your shul, and perhaps you're going to stop desecrating the uh, the Torah by saying that homosexuality is not a big deal. Yeah, you're going to stop those individual crimes, but unless you de- are determined to change yourself altogether, to look at the fact that from now on, I have to make every decision according to what the Torah says. Before I take a step right or before I take a step left, I'm going to have to say, wait, is this what Moshe Rabbeinu allows or no? Is this what the Allah is or no? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to go or am I not supposed to go? And a person has to evaluate every single decision. Not trust his own logic, not trust his own intuition, not trust what he thinks is right. The Gemara in Masechet Kiddushin says a person can make a single act, a single act, and it'll cause him much more harm than he can imagine. For example, the Gemara says a person can, uh, can be asked, somebody can ask him, listen, you know, uh, I have a, uh, some crops over here in the diaspora, in America, here in, in, in England, wherever he is. Do I have to uh, worry about Ola? You have to worry about Ola? And the other guy says, you know what? I don't think so because I think it's only in Israel. I think it's only in Israel. No, I don't think so. And he tells his friend, who's not necessarily going to a rabbi, and he's asking because you're religious. And you say, no, I don't think so. The Gemara says a person that does such a thing, the decree on such a person is he's not going to have any kids. Why? Why such a kids? Because you minimize the Torah first and foremost, although it's a biblical mitzvah to keep, uh, to, to, of Orla in Eretz Yisrael, it's Torah mi Sinai. Moshe Rabbeinu says that this is also in the exile, in the diaspora. So yes, it's not the same level, but nonetheless, it's still forbidden in the exile, in the diaspora. And you saying, no, you don't think so. You're doing it innocently because it's your logic. By doing that, you've minimized the magnitude of the law. You've minimized the strength of the Torah itself. And the decree is a person is not going to have any kids because of that until he does a tikkun. So a person can make a simple mistake like that and then cry to the rabbis, oh, how come I can't have kids after I'm married for 15, 20 years? You have to literally pray to HaKadosh Baruch Hu to remind you of all of these different things that you could have made because of what? One moment of pride. One moment of laziness. One moment of looking to be right. One moment of showing that you're smart even when you're really not. There are little moments in a person's life where if he's not in control of his, of his life to a point where he's determined to do what's right according to the Torah, he can fail in, literally in every sentence that comes out of his mouth. Every sentence that comes out of his mouth and the, and the ramifications are much bigger than people can imagine. People think that suffering in the next world, oh, it, it's, it's too much, it's too this. You don't realize that a lot of suffering comes in this world that as, as a show of kindness that Hashem gives us. The suffering that people get in this world is literally a Kadosh Baruch Hu bringing kindness on his people. Why? Because trust me when I tell you, if you knew even half of what I know, what happens on the other side to somebody that's in Kafakela or in Genom or in, in Chibuta Keve, all of these different places that are literally endless suffering there. If a person knew what's going to happen to them for things that they don't even realize are a crime, trust me when I tell you, you would ask for the uh, suffering to happen in this world. 
Rabbi Yudaftaya mentions in one of the Dibukim that he actually fixed, but still there was a little bit to fix that could only be fixed by a reincarnation. This neshama had to be reincarnated as a baby, and the baby had to get sick to the point where it lost its vision. It lost its vision and deformed its face. And Rabbi Yudaftaya saw this baby and he says, Ah, Baruch Hashem, now this baby is not going to commit the adultery and the homosexuality that he committed in the previous Gilgul. Now he's going to go to heaven after this life. Now, of course, the people that are dealing with it, the people that see it say, Oh, why did God do this? Why did God do that? Sure, when you look at things superficially from a single perspective, you're never going to get the point. You see all of the bad and evil in the world, and you think that there's, uh, I don't know, either a godless world or an evil God, chas v'shalom. But in reality, when a person realizes that every single one of the words that come out of their mouth, needless to say, everything they touch, everywhere they go, all of it has ramifications, not just on your life, but on the world around you. A person surely will be much more careful. Here we have the Chazanish telling us simply, if you want to be righteous, you don't have to be born as the son of the biggest rabbi in the world. You don't have to be born in the lineage of King David. You simply have to make a decision. The decision is be determined, determined to put the moral feelings above the desire. And therefore, this determination cannot be partial. For a person who is in line intellect and high quality of soul have awakened him and influenced him to choose the good. And when he's feeling elevated, he strives for endless good and cannot be satisfied with the good he does. He sees in front of him an eternal and infinite world and hates all the bad traits together. Meaning that if a person has truly made the decision the active decision that I'm from now on going to follow what the Torah says. Not just for this one act of not violating Shabbat. Not just for this one act of I'm going to be modest from now on. Not just for this one thing of I'm not. No, no. I'm simply going to follow what Torah says. That's it. If it's bad, I know it's bad. I'm not doing it. And I know, yes, yeah, sometimes it's hard, but I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight until I get there. Why? Because it's good to do good and this person is not making a partial determination a partial decision that i'm just going to do this one two three things but after that when the rabbi tells me go do something else and no no i'm not at that level yet rabbi this is a serious flaw that a lot of people have in their tshuva process where they feel that if they start keeping shabbat they eat kosher, and they're not murdering people in the streets, that makes them okay. Wrong. Why? Because that very same person that's keeping Shabbat, he's not murdering people, and he eats kosher, can still be an animal that goes to kafakela. Why? Because of how much he causes his wife to suffer, or how much she causes her husband to suffer, or their immorality. One time I cheated, Rabbi. Just one time, not all the time. Okay, one time, I'll show you a story. Rabbi Udaftai says, one time, a guy that was righteous overall, one time he cheated on his wife, but was too embarrassed to do tshuva for it, had to go to Kafakela for decades. Decades. And if it wasn't for Rabbi Udaftai, he'd still be there to this day. So a person does not understand, does not understand the ramification of his actions when he decides that 
I'm good enough. There is no good enough. If you are good, that means you're constantly striving to do more good. If you're bad, then all hell will break loose. You may do some good things along the way. You know, like they say, the road to hell is full of good intentions. Perhaps this is what the statement is based on. The guy is doing good along the way, but he's going to hell anyway. Why? Because you didn't decide to do good uh, across the board because if it's for the sake of good. You decided to do good because it was good for you, not because it was the, the will of God. And this is in essence what the Chazonish is telling us here, is that this determination cannot be partial. Once a person is enlightened, once he knows the truth, that in itself, that determination elevates his soul It awakens him that as soon as he sees that he's doing something wrong, she's doing something wrong, automatically, oh, I can't do that anymore. I just heard, I just saw in a book. It's not allowed to do such and such. Yeah, but you've been doing such and such your whole life. Doesn't matter. I've been wrong my whole life. Been wrong my whole life. Yeah, but come on. If the rabbi didn't say anything, maybe it's not so bad. Listen, I saw it. Rabbi Yudavtai said it. Rabbi said it. The Ben Ishchai said it. I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed. Finish the end. Finished. Finished. A person that's determined to do good because that's the path. They want to simply serve HaKadosh Baruch to the best of their ability is from now on going to live a different path than those that are around them. Why? Because while those that are around them are choosing from time to time, I'll take this, I'll take that. They take the mitzvot like they go shopping. And sometimes, I don't want it, I don't want this, I don't want this, I don't want that. Bring that back. I can't afford this one. This is too much for me. He's looking at things differently. He's thinking, I want all of it. I'll try to do all of it. I'll try to do everything possible. Everything that applies to me, I'm going to try to do. And yeah, I'm going to fail at times. And I'm going to have to try again. But I'm determined to do good. Why? It's good to do good. It's good to do good. This person is going to get to a point where he sees the world as an eternal and infinite world. What does it mean? What does it have to do with eternal, infinite world as far as a desire to do good? Simple. When a person decides that this is the way I am, I'm not changing it, that means he thinks that everything is limited. He yelled at that one, he stole from that one, he hit that one. Okay, the damage is just here. It's limited. He doesn't think about the fact that, yes, maybe he embarrassed that person or she embarrassed that person and it doesn't really end there because somebody else saw that. And somebody else may feel that they also have the right to embarrass this person or disrespect this person as a result of you. As the example that I gave you guys a few years ago, where a person goes and embarrasses some clerk behind the register and just takes the stuff. And uh, the, uh, the uh, guy's wife is watching this whole thing and sees how her husband is being abused by one of these macho guys in the neighborhood. Now this guy doesn't think too much. He just takes whatever he wants, just a $2 apple. But the wife thinks it's a lot more than a $2 apple. She has lost all respect to our husband, for our husband, and now she doesn't want to listen to him. She changes our clothes. She doesn't come back home at times. She doesn't hangs out with her friends. She decides to do whatever she wants. Eventually, this leads the guy to start drinking and becoming an alcoholic because his own wife doesn't listen to him. 
After that, the marriage breaks. After that, this leads to suicide. After that, the boy becomes a criminal because he sees what happened when uh, when his father was a loser. So he decides to emulate the criminal that abused his father. And the, the reality is that that one single event, when a person really looks at anything, sees that there is no such thing as a single event. There is no such thing as this ends here. The wicked person thinks it ends here. The righteous person realizes the word is eternal meaning there's no such thing as i'm doing this and it'll end here no no if i do this bad thing it won't end here it won't end here and even more so if i do this good thing it won't end here yes maybe giving a few dollars to this to this uh, divorced woman that doesn't have any income and our husband ex-husband was an abuser and yeah that may not seem like it's going to help anybody right now but who knows who is going to turn the world around maybe certain things will happen as a result of this maybe 5 10 20 years from now this woman is going to get married and have a, a nice family and one of those kids is going to come to her and says ima you know I, I i really want to help somebody i really need to do something good because i was given a fortune of good who else can i help who do you know that i could help and she thinks oh this person helped me 20 years ago go see what he's working on and he can, the world can change that way and there's a million and a half different ways that the world can change in order for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to pay the reward and it doesn't end there because it continues it continues and continues and continues there's an extraordinary story that was told by Rav Ovadia years ago and it's actually written in his Anaf Etz Avot where he says that there was a uh, big Talmud Chacham Rav Tzvi Hirsch Horowitz who was the uh, chief rabbi of uh, uh, Kar- uh, Karchow card cow and uh Rav Tzvi Horowitz, he had a uh young man as his assistant this uh young man named Meir Ansel and uh this Meir Ansel was a good Talmud Chacham you know learned Torah did mitzvot and one day this Meir Ansel uh, got married and everything and it was time for him to take on a uh, job and he decided that he's gonna open up a store and he told the rabbi for the rav I love you I'm gonna go open up a store start a business so I can provide for my family sure no problem he got the uh okay and he went on his way Rav Tzviyos always continued his life and he started saving money to eventually wed his daughter and over the years he gathered enough to a pretty small fortune of 500 golden coins now these 500 gold coins were something that he would hide in a specific compartment in his study and uh, one day before uh, Pesach when he wanted to check something with his uh, savings that he has that he's gonna eventually give to his daughter he opened it and he realized he saw that it's not there it's not there so of course the family is looking everywhere and all of a sudden everybody says it must be Meir Ansel must be him no he's a tzaddik it's forbidden for you guys to accuse such a righteous person needless to say when you don't have any proof he said then what proof do we need where did he get the money to open this new store 
Where do you get the money for it? You have to go ask him if he took the money. No, it's not him. It can't. But the family would not relent. And they kept pressuring the rabbi over and over again until the rabbi relented and said, okay, I'm going to go ask him. And Rabbi Halowitz went to his student, Meir Ansel, and told him, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm not here to give you uh, any blessing. I'm actually here to ask you a serious question. And Meir saw that his rabbi was so sad. He said, yes, what, what can I do? He says, you know that I've been saving for a long time for my daughter and uh, the 500 gold coins are gone and I want to know, did you take it? Without skipping a beat, my answer said, you're right, Fodorov. I was the one that took it. I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself with the temptation. I wanted to open up the store and... I promised you I'm going to pay you back. Hold on. He goes to the back, comes back, he goes, here for the Rav. Here are 200 golden coins. This is all yours. The rest of it I'm going to give you back as soon as possible. And again, please forgive me. The rabbi is happy that the student admitted it. And although he didn't have all the money yet, he knows that if he admitted it, or surely he's going to pay him back. And he comes back home. And he tells the family, and of course, everyone is happy that the money was found. Several months passed, and the person that really stole the money was not Meiransa, but rather the cleaning lady that worked at the rabbi's house, who saw him hiding it one time and decided to help herself and steal it. But, but she decided that she doesn't want to get caught, so she gave it to her loser husband, and uh, they said, listen, let's keep it and on the side and not spend it right away because they'll find out. They'll start questioning. Where do poor people like us get gold coins? So some months passed. And the, uh, the husband took one of the golden coins and he went to the bar. Give me some drinks. Bartender says, gold coin, you've been coming to this bar for years. Never saw you with a gold coin. Where'd you get a gold coin? And the guy's like, ah. I found it. Wow, found it. What luck you have. Yeah, 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 luck, luck. And he starts giving him the drinks. The next week, he comes back to the bar. Yeah, give me some more drinks. And he throws a gold coin at the bartender. Again a gold coin, where'd you get this one? Found it, I found it. This time the bartender says, no, no, he didn't find two gold coins in two weeks. Something else. Something else. He went to the, uh, to the uh, owner and he says, what do you think? Is his money stolen? What do you think? He said, listen, keep giving him drinks. Whatever he wants. Don't even charge. Just keep giving him drinks. Eventually, when he's drunk, we'll ask him again. So they started giving him drinks, more drinks and more drinks. And as you know, the Gemara says, with the alcohol comes the truth. So after they get him nice and drunk, he said, no, come on, tell us the truth. Where would you get this gold coins? And he starts telling me, ah, my wife. She works for this stupid rabbi and uh you know he had a lot of money you know these jews they have a lot of money so she took the money and now we have he told him the whole story immediately the uh the honest owner of the uh bar reported to the police they arrested him and 
identified this uh, where the money is and sent the money to the rabbi which was literally only missing about 25 out of the 500 coins that's all they had time to spend as soon as the rabbi Halowitz, got this money on one end you would think he'd be happy but in reality he was in shock and embarrassment and didn't know what hole to bury himself when he realized that his Talmud, Meir Anshel, gave him money that telling him that he stole something that he didn't. Immediately he ran. He ran to Meir Anshel. He says, why did you do it? Why did you do it? You didn't steal the money. Look, I have the proof. This is the money. Why did you do it? He says, Kvodarav, I love you. And after I saw how sad your face was, how sad you were for losing that money, I couldn't control myself. I had a desire to make you happy. So I said, you know what? I stole the money. I stole the money. And I gave you everything that I had. And over the last few months, I sold everything in my house just to finish the payment of the 500 coins. Rav Horowitz gives him back all of the money that belonged to him along with a bracha. A bracha that says, for what you did, may you and all of your descendants have extraordinary blessing of wealth and that exactly is what happened because this Meir Ansel was the original Rothschild a person that was a righteous Jew a person that was Talmud Chacham but not just that a person that was determined to do good because it's good to do good so much so that even when you've done enough good you're not satiated just like the Chazuni says, you see endless opportunity, an endless world, an infinite world. You realize that this good is something you need to do. Why? Because it won't end here. There's more. If you do this good, you'll have opportunities to do other good and more good. And no one ever loses by doing what Akadosh Baruch Hu calls good. Be'ezrat Hashem, this too, will give each and every single one of us chizuk to truly start doing tshuva. Not just addressing a single mitzvah, not just addressing a single sin. Not just settling for one part of the Torah, but doing it all. Because it's good for us to do good, not just for ourselves, but also for the world around us. Because as soon as you start doing good, for the sake of good, because the Torah calls it good, the world around you will start changing and realize perhaps you're onto something. Perhaps they'll join you too. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen v'amen.